Hello, welcome to Cycle Systems Online Podcast. So while we have John Galloway getting ready for his epic ride to China, those of you out there who are mad keen on cycling, and I guess that's why you're listening to this podcast, you've probably got some sort of goals, whether you're maybe entering your first races, whether that's gravel races, cyclocross races, uh, road races, Often people's first event is some sort of big sportive or grand fondo. Um, maybe they're a little less popular than they were 10 years ago, you know, probably due to the, the gravel side of things. I find that they're still incredibly popular. You know, people that I'm friends with and follow, they're doing the gravel ride and they're doing the new route ride London and the attack the tour and all of this stuff is still out there. Having been a veteran sporty mammal myself for some time, I wanted to speak to you about really our hints and tips for being ready for that big day, whatever it is. So, of course, if you're new to all of this, hopefully this will be of use. If you're really quite experienced, maybe you'll learn one or two things. Maybe you've got one or two things to teach us. Well, we have, of course, featured interviews with various physical trainers and experts over the years. So if you want a real expert insight into any one particular area, do go back and check our back catalogue of um, episodes for some fantastic interviews there. But what I wanted to do is really just share my own experiences and hopefully some of it will be of some use. So, of course, we're a training academy. So we want to talk about the bike. Now, how you've got your bike set up for training may well be different to how you're going to actually have it on the day of the event. So let's look into that. So the most important thing, I think, is that you're either using the same bike for training in the event, or if you do have a training bike and a special race day bike, you've got them set up to the millimeter the same. So the width of the bars, the reach of the bars, the setting of the hoods, how far the bars are from the nose of the saddle, where the saddle sits in relation to the bottom bracket. All of these um, things can make a massive impact on how you use your muscles, which has an impact in terms of performance and injury. I think one of the common things when you finish some sort of big amateur event is it can look like a war zone. The sheer amount of suffering you see at the finish line where people have just hurt themselves. And okay, that might have been because they pushed harder than they normally would going out for a Sunday run with their friends or their club, but it's often to do with bad setup and poor basic condition as well. So we'll get into all of those things. But essentially for the training bike, obviously you're looking for reliability above all, but you definitely don't want it to be wildly different to the race day bike, even if they are going to be different, because essentially you want the bike to respond fairly similarly on different types of terrain. So if you're going to be riding something hilly, and most of these events are quite hilly, you really want to be able to gauge, well, how do you go on a 5% gradient, a 10% gradient, a 20% gradient? If you're riding radically different equipment, it really, really will feel like a different experience. So just at the moment, I'm commuting to work like an hour each way. I've got a steel bike with 
Ortegra nine speed gator skins on and such for the bad weather. It's got all my bike packing bags on for putting my lunch in and my waterproof clothes. And then I've got the main road bike because it's summer right now as I'm recording and I can whiz along with the, you know, 50 mil deep rims and super lightweight everything. And it's just a completely different effort and experience as you can imagine. So essentially we're looking for reliability on the training, but also for the setup to be as close as possible to what you're going to ride on the day. And of course, remember, you're not going to have a team car on the day. So even the race day ready bike, you definitely want to have a degree of reliability there. So on that note, I remember doing the fantastic um, Rafa Hell of North London back in 2014, I think it was the first time they did this event. And we rode all of these kind of grave roads, as they called it, as well as tarmac north of London, finished off back at the Rafa CC cafe to watch Perry roubaix So really, well, it wasn't, it was a pub in North London where we watched Perry roubaix and had chips and drank beer. And it was a really great day out, but they really were pretty rough lanes. And some of them were even private lanes that Rafa had got the use of for the day. And I remember at the start seeing a guy with a set of deep section carbon wheels, tubular. And I remember saying to one of my friends, wouldn't want to be that guy today. You know, and the tubular tyre, for those of you that don't know, it's essentially a tyre that glues onto the rim and the inner tube sewed up inside. So the only way to fix it is to um, rip the tyre off and glue another one on, which most people aren't going to do necessarily mid sportive or events or however you want to coin it now of course professional riders when they ran tubulars and a few still do would have a team car with a spare wheel or spare bike but this guy didn't and in fact i did see him miles and miles north of london in the middle of nowhere not even that close to a road with two flat tires just sort of stood there on this little gravel section like oh, what do i do so that was a real case of someone listening, getting the wrong advice, someone telling them how great tubulars were. And well, maybe for the right person at the right time with the right team car behind them, but not for the likes of you and me on some sort of amateur mammal event. Um, obviously, tubeless tires have been a massive um, boon, you know, for road riding. They're definitely not perfect but they definitely are used by lots and lots of people who um, really know their stuff in terms of bike tech. Just be aware that looking after the tubeless tires, even selecting the correct tire for your rims, takes a bit of experience and knowledge. So if you're not at all sure, um, just go for standard inner tubes. But if you get latex inner tubes, you'll just get that little bit of free speed. So that brings me on then to which upgrades are worth making essentially. People are like, okay, I want to go really fast, I want to beat last year's time, that kind of thing. And of course you can upgrade yourself and you can upgrade the bike and you can be absolutely sure that upgrading the engine, which is yourself, is always gonna be the best investment of time and effort and sometimes even money. So if you're really, really serious getting a coach, for example, um, as well as getting a bike fit, those two things are probably the very, very best thing you can do for yourself 
to get the most out of the performance. And don't leave that too late. You know, you, you engage a coach eight weeks before a big event, there's very, very little they can do. And if you do engage a coach, then essentially choose someone who you know you're going to feel really comfortable working with, you agree before you sign up, because basically once you start, you've just got to follow it and go for it, you know, and trust them, essentially. So I definitely say coaching, bike fit is incredibly important. And the other one is your condition, not just cycle fitness, which is kind of a given, isn't it? But it's your flexibility and general constitutional well-being. So if you're eating bad foods, if you're drinking a lot, if you're not sleeping well, you're really fighting against general well-being. So you could end up getting sick or not performing very well. And then also you want to be flexible enough that you're not going to start getting aches and pains. Because what I've noticed is when I start doing distances, which are way longer than I normally would, because there's only so many hours in the day for training, right? What's often harder than just having the energy to pedal your bike is literally the aches and pains that kick in. And especially as you get older and, you know, middle-aged men in Lycra, there's something pretty instructive about that. So for us middle-aged people, mostly guys that do these sporty still, um, but for the women as well, it's just as important as if you're not in good general condition for your overall strength and flexibility, you're going to be in agony once you start going beyond your normal miles and you might have many miles to go still. So the upgrade in the body in all of those ways is definitely the single best and biggest thing you can do. Looking at bike upgrades though, you definitely can't argue with it. So essentially what's going to make you faster? Now probably you guys aren't going to be in UCI rules unless you're doing something like the Tour of Cambridgeshire which is a Grand Fondo, it's a race at the front with your BC license and a sportive at the back. And essentially, if you're not, you can really dip into a lot of the triathlon-specific upgrades, which are well, well worth it. So I'm about to try out the Swiss side uh, calf guards, which are aero calf guards. And, you know, their claim is they save you so many watts. So I'm going to give it a go and see. Um, shaving your legs if you don't shave your legs been pretty well proven can save a couple of minutes every 25 miles which is really well well worth it for the free speed no matter what you think of shaved legs and all these little optimizations such as aero overshoes a proper aero jersey aero helmet they all really do make a big big difference and you add all of these together while the claims of this saves you eight watts, this saves you six watts, they, they may well be incorrect or they may well be relating to speeds that the likes of you and I will never achieve on the flat. You know, most of them are saves you eight watts at 45k an hour. Well, I don't do 45k an hour on the flat for 100 miles. It just is not happening, basically, especially after a few thousand meters of climbing. But nonetheless, there's definitely some benefits there. And it's often a lot cheaper to, say, get a pair of aero overshoes than it is a set of 800-pound ceramic-bearing oversized pulley wheels, which is maybe the very last thing that you should do. 
So in terms of equipment, then, the single biggest piece of equipment, the single biggest difference you can make with equipment, and the most cost-effective is tyres. So many riders just ride the tyres their bike came with, or they just buy mid-end tyres to save a few quid, and I'm not getting it. Why ride 1,500-pound wheels with tyres that are £20 cheaper than the very, very best? And in fact, these days, Continental GP 5,000 tyres are coming in at really, really good prices, basically, sometimes less than half the price of the Vittoria Corsa Pro tyres, which are maybe a couple of watts faster, but certainly if you want to save money, just get a cheaper, really good tyre like a GP5000. But even the very best, very fastest tyres, you can chuck some tubeless sealant in so they're going to be pretty you know, safe and secure, like riding the Corsa CX, it's nothing to do with cyclocross, the old Corsa CXs back in the day with inner tubes, you'd look at them and they'd flap. You know, you'd ride them in the rain. I remember once got, I got three flaps on those open tubulars, as they were called, in one day training in the rain. So we've had huge improvements in tyre tech, but you can transform the feel of your bike, both in terms of free speed and in terms of cornering and descending confidence and um, grip, basically. So you definitely, definitely want to upgrade your tyres to the absolute best, whether you're running tubeless or whether you're running a clincher with latex inner tubes. That's a completely personal choice. I have different wheel sets with both. If you had a gun to my head and said, Sean, you can only ride one for the rest of your life, it'd be clinchers with latex inner tubes because it's just less hassle. And I don't think I notice the performance difference anyway. So in terms of the big, big upgrades, then obviously you can buy specific wheel sets for the specific event you're doing. Super light wheels can make a difference. Super aero wheels can make a difference. But it is such a big investment that I don't really have the time on this podcast to weigh up the pros and cons of every depth of wheel. But one thing I will say is the kind of mid-end endurance type 35, 40 mil wheels, you might think they're kind of jack of all trades, master of none. However, in some tests we've seen, we've seen that actually this type of wheel, 35, 40 mil depth, consistently performs well climbing, you know, riding on the flat, riding on the rough surfaces that are often thrown into events these days. However, um, you can't be a, a super light 24 mil deep climbing wheel if you're doing some sort of alpine or full on climbing events. Like I really love the DT Swiss Montchasserelle wheel set. You know, you can go up climbs in the big ring there that you wouldn't, even with wheels that are only a few hundred grams heavier. It's amazing the difference rim weight makes. And riding a 50 mil, 60 mil deep wheel, fantastic on the flat and increasingly on hillier rides now as the weights come down. However, speaking to a few riders recently, very good riders recently, they kind of regretted buying the 60 mil wheels. They were sold into it, aero is everything, it doesn't make much difference until you're over 8%. But they really did feel the downside of a 60 mil wheel climbing, it's always going to be heavier. So we've got plenty of podcasts just on wheels and I'm always up for wheel chat but it's fairly personal and maybe 
you know, I'm speaking to you at a time of, you know, pretty serious cost of living crisis, et cetera. Maybe upgrading to some super bling wheel set is not in your remit. Certainly wouldn't be in mine right now buying anything like that. So when I've done some big events, some of the really big things that made a difference to me have been free. So one of which was the Buteco Breathing. We've got a whole different podcast with Julia, Julia Lally, about that, because Julia was and is a Buteco practitioner. And you can listen to our podcast with Misha Sakharov, who's a Buteco coach as well. And Buteco Breathing is essentially a technique which retrains the the brain's breathing center and it has absolutely incredible performance benefits it's kind of like epo but it's it's achieved through natural breathing exercises that's a staggering uh, performance advantage if you have the wherewithal to commit to six months 12 months of daily breathing exercise practices it's not going to do much for you in a week guys and the other for me at least was the ketogenic diet that you've probably heard us talk about before. But doing the ketogenic diet, which is a diet where you fuel on fats rather than sugars, it made a huge difference Um, when I was doing long-distance events. My body was just so adapted to burning fat rather than sugars, and I could ride incredibly steadily without having to constantly fuel and constantly put the sugars in. Having said that, it's not for everyone and it's a fairly major dietary change. So if you are on the kind of traditional sports nutrition and sugar fueling, just make sure you're fueling drinking regularly and make sure you got some savory stuff as well as sweet stuff and never, never, never introduce new nutrition on the day of an event, just in case you shit yourself basically. And it's the same with new saddle, new bars, new shorts, anything like that. Absolutely don't do it. So just a few thoughts, a bit like a pub chat really about sportives, but I hope some of it's been useful. Let me know if any of it was particular interest. And just like we've done a whole podcast about the keto and Boteco, maybe we can extrapolate some more of this into a deeper dive. But for now, thanks for joining me. Bye-bye.